Jesus gave us a priority list in Matthew 12, 30 that lines up with the Ten Commandments. And this is our memory verse, so I want to hear you good and strong, ready, go. Jesus said the most important. soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is, okay, and the Ten Commandments teach us how to do these priorities, and today in part four, I want to talk to you about this. Sunday is for God. Sunday, and I think I'm preaching to the choir today, right? Sunday is for God. Now, um, it's interesting to me, why is it that in God's priority list, uh, Sunday morning church, now, not serving during the week, not prayer meetings and Bible studies and choir practice and all that, but Sunday morning church, why is that a higher priority? Why should that be higher than your marriage? Why should that be, why is that a higher priority to God than your relationships with your children? Why is that a higher priority to God than your work and how hard you work? Here's why. Because Sunday morning church affects all of those areas all during the week. You can have the greatest spouse in the whole world and have the most wonderful marriage, but if you stop coming to church, it's not going to be pretty. Um, you can be single, but if you, start, if you keep coming to church, then whenever you begin to date, your standards will be higher and higher and higher because you're in church every single Sunday. Church affects your finances. It affects your mental state of mind. It affects whether or not you feel like cussing your boss out on Monday morning. Church opens up our heart to receive things that get us healthy to get through Monday through Saturday. And, of course, the fourth commandment is here, and it's the longest commandment. God spent more time on this commandment than any of the other ones. Exodus 28 through 11 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it. What's that word? Now, I wish if I could press a button and do something to y'all's heart, I wish I could somehow um, prevent everyone in this room from being desensitized to the word holy. All through today's sermon, for 20 scriptures, you'll see the Sabbath is holy, holy, holy. When something is holy, it means it's set apart. It's not like anything else. It means that you don't get to decide what to do with that. God has already decided that for you. Uh, the tithe is holy, you know. Uh, so 100% of our money belongs to God, but the first 10% is holy. In other words, he says, here's what to do with it. We should spend time with God every day. We talked about that last week, right? Take God everywhere, Sunday through Saturday. But there's something holy about this day for us. It is different. God has already told you what to do with it, okay? He says this, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord God. On it, you shall not do work, nor your son nor daughter, and all the children said, thank God, nor your male or female servant, nor your cattle, nor any stranger that resides in your gates, nor your dogs, nor your hamsters, nor your goats, nor your chickens, but your cats can work because they're going to hell. For in six days the Lord God made heavens and the earth and all that is in them, but he rested the seventh day. Now, a lot of theologians have a problem with the word rested because God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So they think, well, how can this omnipotent, all-powerful God need rest? And I'll explain that to you in a little bit, so don't lose your mind or thought. You don't lose anything. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it. What's the word? Okay, it's amazing to me what made God's top ten list. It's amazing to me what made God's highest priority list, right? And everyone in this room, we all agree that we shouldn't murder. Do we agree with that? Okay, we agree that we shouldn't commit adultery. We agree that we should not steal. We agree we shouldn't lie. We agree we shouldn't have idols. We agree we shouldn't have other gods. We agree we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. We agree we should not covet our neighbor's stuff. We agree on nine out of ten commandments. I mean, nine out of ten we are very serious about, but it's very unusual how we treat 
our Sabbath day, which is Sunday morning. If we got friends in town, we just can't be there. If we have family visiting us, if we were invited to go do something more fun, we just can't be there. Let me ask this. Would you murder for one of your friends? Would you steal something for one of your friends? Would you worship false gods for one of your friends? Then why would you not honor the Sabbath day because some person in your life, right? Y'all don't seem like you like that point, but that's okay. I'm going to, so, you know, we we think sometimes that God's being kind of selfish with making us put him first in these areas, but I'm going to teach you today through my three points that God's a completely selfless God, and when he says put him first, especially with the Sabbath, it's not for him, it's for you. It is 100% for you, okay? And I'm going to show you that through three points, and um, all three points start with the same letters. And I do that because I can't sleep at night if they don't start with the same letter. So, point number one is this. The Sabbath provides supernaturally. Supernaturally. When something is supernatural, that means you can't really explain it through science. When something's supernatural, it means that um, it, it had to be the hand of God that did it. Exodus 16.25, gather food for six days. In other words, work six days. But the seventh is a holy Sabbath. There we see that word again. There will be no food for you on that day. Some people went out on the seventh day to gather. They didn't find any food. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you, now that word you is a plural word in the Hebrew. In other words, if the Bible were written by Southerners, this word would actually be the word y'all. Okay, good. So how long will y'all refuse to keep my commands? The Lord has, and here's what I need you to see. He's given you a gift. He has gifted you. He has given you a present. He has given you something that you should desire and love and be thankful for. It's called the Sabbath. That's why in six days he gives you bread for two days. Here's what this is saying. If you work seven days and ignore the Sabbath, God's not going to provide for you. But if you want God to provide for you on the seventh day, you don't work. You worship, you serve, you come to church, you rest, you spend time with your family, and supernaturally God will provide in your life. See, we think that our effort is what gets us money or our effort is what causes doors to open. We think it's our own strength and God says it's never been your own strength. And to prove it to you, there's going to be a day that you don't do any of that stuff and I'm going to provide. Because I'm your source. Your job's not your source. Your boss isn't your source. God says I'm your source. It's like the tithe. Um, The the 90% we have left over, he makes it go further than the 100%. But if you keep the 100%, there's no blessing on your finances. Are you with me? Um, do you know that every fast food store in the world is, um, is open on Sunday mornings? Every fast food restaurant except for, oh, I wait till I preach on gluttony. Y'all are going to love that sermon. Um, in fact, Chick-fil-A says in their faith confession, they say that Chick-fil-A has been closed on Sundays since 1946 to allow employees a day of rest and worship. Do you know that the highest grossing day of the week for fast food restaurants is Sunday, because <laughs> Christians love to eat. But, they, they, but fast food restaurants, they make more money gross on Sundays than any other day of the week. Most fast food restaurants are open 24 hours a day, a lot of them are. The annual gross income per unit store, um, on average of fast food restaurants per unit per year, uh, the gross is, a hun- is, um, I'm sorry, uh, is, is $1 million a year. The average restaurant, fast food, makes a million dollars gross a year. McDonald's makes two million a year. Um, other ones make 500,000, 800,000. So it averages a million dollars a year. Chick-fil-A, which is closed on the highest grossing day of the week, makes an average per store, per unit, per year, gross $5 million. How does this happen? Here's how. 
Because they honor God. Because God supernaturally provides when you do what his word says. And if you're here today, you know, I am, I am a recovering, um, I'm sober, I've been sober for four years. I'm a recovering workaholic. Uh, my name's John Paul, and I used to work every single day of the week my entire life until about four years ago. And I was always scared that, God, can you really, like, I need to do this work. I have to finish this. I have to accomplish this. I have to get this done. I can't sleep. In, I can't do it. And then and I, I realized what God can actually accomplish in six days versus seven. Would you like to know what God can actually accomplish in six days? Just walk outside. Just look at the ocean. Look at the sun. If you're curious, when you honor God, can he really take care? Can he really provide? If you only do six days, just look at a mountain and see what God can do in six days. Deuteronomy 5.12 says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it. What is that word? Six days you shall labor, do all your work. The seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord. Verse 15, remember, and this is so great, you used to be slaves. You used to be slaves in Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I redeemed you. I saved you. I brought you out of that slavery. Now, when they were in Egypt, the Israelites realized something. Only the most elite, royalty, richest people in the world get to take a day off. They, they, that, that was amazing to them. Now, here's what's funny. When the Israelites were in slavery, they worked seven days a week, and they barely had enough. When they came out and they began to work six days a week, they had more than enough. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, the only people who work seven days a week, if you study history throughout the world, are slaves. And the Bible says if you belong to God, you're no longer a slave. You know, some of you in this room, you're slaves to your emails. You're slaves to time management. You're slaves to your company. You're slaves to your bank account. You're slaves to your boss. You're, you're, you're in slavery and you don't even realize you're a slave because you're not focused on your provider. You think you're the one that's supposed to be providing for you. God's the one that provides. You honor his word, he always provides. It's a supernatural thing. Point number two for your notes is this. It prospers our soul. It prospers our soul. Now, some of you think, man, God, I hope you're happy because I came to church today, so give me a little check mark up in heaven. Okay, attending church does nothing for God. It does everything for you. Now, serving, worshiping, and giving is for God, but attending is for you. And that's what this point number two shows us. Psalms 23.3, he refreshes and restores my soul. Psalms 19.7, the law of the Lord or the word of God restores or converts or returns our soul to the health that it needs to be. And the reason I gave you those scriptures because it's the same root word in Hebrew to Exodus 12.11 that says on the seventh day, here's what God did. He rested or he restored himself. He refreshed himself. Um <clears throat> Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And all during the week, Monday through Saturday, your soul, believe it or not, it gets torn up. I mean, your soul gets, gets shot at. It gets stabbed through the things you watch on television, through people that work, you know, through, through drivers on the road, things that upset you, your children. All these things are tearing at your soul. And the Word of God is the only thing that can restore it or refresh it or return it back to the health that it needs to be. And a lot of people think that, you know, I'm doing okay, so I don't need church. You don't realize how unhealthy your soul is until you really get in the Word and find out uh, what God can do and what He expects of us. So that same word there is, is rested. So how can an omnipotent, all-powerful God need to rest? How can an, um, an all-powerful God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, who, owns, who has the world in the palm of His hands, how can He need to be refreshed? Okay, in Hebrew, uh, that word refresh means this, and it should have been up there, but it means this, to take breath 
or to breathe in. I think it's on your handouts. Hebrew, refresh, rest, is to take breath or to breathe in. So here's my question. What had God been doing on six days before the What did he do on six days? He was creating, right? Okay. How does God create things? What does God do? He speaks. Let there be light, and there was light. Let the earth bring forth yielding seed, and it was so. Let the waters bring forth sea creatures, and it happened. He was speaking. What happens when you speak? What do you do? You breathe out. So what did God do? In fact, let me show you something really cool. In Genesis 2-7, it says this. It says, then God formed man from the dust of the ground, and what did he do? He breathed into him. Even when God created us, he breathed in life, and man became a living, what's the word? Soul. So for six days, God was doing this. You know what he did on the seventh day? He breathed it all in. He just took a breath in. Now, here's why that's important. John 20, 21 says this. Jesus breathed, and they received something. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scriptures, God breathed. You know what you do on Sunday morning? You breathe in the word of God. You breathe in the spirit of God. You breathe in the worth, the corporate worship. You breathe in peace. You breathe in wisdom. You breathe in comfort. You breathe in a better relationship with God. You, you breathe it all in, and then you go through your week, Monday through Saturday, and you're breathing out, breathing out, breathing out, breathing out. That's why we need Sunday morning. Because this is it's your chance to breathe in the word. Now, let me show you something really, really cool, and I love this. Mark 2.23. On one Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples, they were walking through a field, and they bent over to pick up some grain. This is all they did, right? And the legalistic uh, Pharisee said this. They're doing something that's unlawful on the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath was, and this is the most beautiful scripture on the Sabbath. Watch. It was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Let me say this. You were not made for church. Church was created for you. So when you think that coming to church does something great for God, God's saying you need to realize coming to church is a gift that I created for you. This is for you to be healthier, for you to be better. You know, the Pharisees, they were very, very legalistic. And I think it's funny because um, a friend of mine that's a pastor, years ago he went to Israel for the first time. And their Sabbath is on a Saturday. And they believe, they're, they're very legalistic, which is fine. I'm not saying anything bad. I think that's great that they take it this serious. But they think that pressing an elevator button should not be done on the Sabbath because this is work. So on the Sabbath in Israel, every single elevator is programmed to stop on every single floor up and down all day long. Yeah, if I was visiting Israel, I would either lose my mind or stay in my hotel room all day on the Sabbath, right? I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I heard about that, I just pictured myself, I'm very... Very, um, I have a big imagination. I picture myself going to Israel, and I'm about to get on an elevator, and some little 12-year-old boy gets off the elevator, and I look and see all the buttons are pressed, and I say, hey, kid, get back in here. You know, you need to, you need to come and go tell your parents what you did, but that's how the, the elevator is. They go up and down, but it's not legalistic like that, okay? Exodus 31, 14, watch this. Keep the Sabbath because it's holy. Anyone who desecrates the Sabbath will be put to death. Those who do any work on the Sabbath must be cut off from their people. There were four commands that held the death penalty. And if you, if you have a problem with the death penalty, um, God's actually the one who invented the death penalty, by the way. He started it, and then other cultures took it along. And it's actually, to point out grace, there's actually grace in the death penalty because when someone knows they're about to die, there's a 99% chance they'll give their life to Jesus versus they live to be 100 years old, they're millionaire, everything's great in their life, and you know, they never call on God for help. So the death penalty is actually grace. God would rather you be in eternity 
for all of eternity with him, and you know, you only live 20 years on earth, than to live 100 years on earth and be in hell apart from God for all of eternity. But anyway, so adultery carried a death penalty, murder carried a death penalty, um, disobeying your parents carried a death penalty. Imagine after that first kid was, mur- was, was killed for no other children ever disobeyed their parents from that day forward. Remember that kid back in 1930s, you know, the, yeah, that'll happen to you. If you, if you don't do your homework, you're going to be dead like that kid. The fourth one was the Sabbath. Now, let me modernize it for you. Um, for the first nine years of ministry, I never took one single day off. No, I, I, think, I think maybe three days in nine years I took off. Because I thought the work had to be done, and I love to work. I love it. I get, um, I get productivity from it. I love change. I will work and work and work because it just brings me great pleasure. And um, for nine years, I did that. And my soul was on death row. And I didn't even realize it until I lost my marriage. And I lost my family. In fact, I was cut off from the people God put in my life, my children, because I worked every single day for nine years without, without taking a day off. You see what it can do? See, some of you in here, your marriage is on death row because you won't take a day to serve God together and enjoy each other and breathe in and refresh your soul, refresh your life. Your, 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 your relationship with your children is on death row because you're a slave to your cell phone. You're a slave to your, you know, whatever, you, your YouTube. You're a slave to your social media and it's killing your soul and you don't even realize it. And listen, here's what will happen. You're going to be cut off from the people that God's put in your life. How arrogant and prideful are we to not see the Sabbath as a gift from God for us, right? I had a friend many years ago. Um, I tried for years to get him in church, years. He always had an excuse. He found the love of his life. They got married. I said, man, now you really need to come to church. You know, you, no, we have a great marriage. I said, listen, you just need to come to church, man. Just, you need to just serve with your spouse and everything. His, him and his wife ended up having problems, and, um, you know, she left him, and he said, I need your help. I said, you got to come to church. He said, John Paul, I can't. I work on Sundays. I said, quit your job and get another job. Work at Chick-fil-A for you. He said, I make too much money. I make too much money. And he said, we just bought a brand new motorcycle, and we're looking at getting a house. I said, you're going to lose everything if you don't come telling you. You have to put God first. He lost his wife. I mean, he went crazy over it. And he called me up for help. I said, I've been trying for years to help you. There's nothing I can do for you if you won't put yourself in the place that reverts your soul back to what it needs to be in, that brings you help, that gets you through your week. You know what he's got in his life right now? He still has his job and he still has his motorcycle. You know why? That's what he prioritized. You will have, actually, you have right now what you prioritize in life. And the day you die, you're going to have what you prioritized in your life. I pray to God you prioritized him. So at the end of your life, you don't look back and think, where did my life go? I helped this person. I helped that person. I got a lot of money. I, may, I bought this house. I got a motorcycle. That's all you have to show for your life? What about God? What about your family? What about your kids, right? Point number three is this. It prevents selfishness. It prevents selfishness. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. <clears throat> Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Plant selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, and you'll have a harvest of weeds. The one who plants in response to God, he'll reap a Holy Spirit eternal life. So do not grow weary in well-doing. 
For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. So as often as you have the chance, here's where God says you prioritize first. Watch this. As often as you have the chance, do good, especially to those in your household of faith. Now, a farmer never plants the same seed equally everywhere. You know the analogy Jesus gives about someone on thorny ground, someone on rocky ground, someone... Okay, everyone knows a good farmer puts most of his seed on good soil, and then sometimes he throws someone some rocky ground and tries to see if maybe I can get them in church and tell them about Jesus. But my main heart, my main seed goes into the local body church. You see, we know that we're going to reproduce. If we don't pour into each other, we're not going to have what we need to go out into the world from Monday through Saturday to try to win more people to Jesus. So this is where our efforts go first. Even me as a pastor, um, I have zero desire to have any relationships outside of the church. I mean, I just don't. I don't care about any, I don't care about having a single friend or anyone outside of people that serve the local body church. Because there's nothing I can do for them. I could spend every day with them. I could pray for them 24 hours a day. I could call them and encourage them and I could do all. But if they won't plant themselves here, they're never going to go in the right direction in life. So I'll spend maybe 1% of energy outside the church. But 99% goes into my wife, my children, and the people who are members. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, know those who, watch this, labor among you. Those who actually serve. Even Jesus, and listen, Jesus did not spend equal time with everybody. He left crowds of people who desired to be with him so he could spend time with Zacchaeus. Even his own 12 disciples, he left nine of them several times and just took Peter, James, and John with him to certain places because he knew their soil was good, their heart was good. Um, if you're thinking, you know, maybe God's being selfish, asking me to do this and the church and all this kind of thing. No, he's not. He's doing this for you. Watch this. This is amazing. Isaiah 58, 13 says this. If you honor the Lord on the Sabbath day, here's what that looks like. That is delighting yourself in the Lord. He'll make you ride on heights of earth. Now, this passage is very interesting because, remember, the same person wrote the whole Bible, or the same person authored the whole Bible. This scripture says that when you honor the Sabbath, when you're in church and you spend time worshiping, serving, it says that the, that, that is, what that is, is it's delighting yourself in the Lord, right? You, you put God first, that's delighting yourself in the Lord. There's only one place in the entire Bible where you see the phrase, delight yourself in the Lord, other than this scripture. You know what it is? Psalms 37, 4, watch this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what this says when you put it together? It says when you take care of God's desires, he takes care of your desires. You know what you're never going to see in this sermon series is one of the sermons being about fulfill your own dreams. That should not be on your priority list to fulfill your goals and your dreams. What should be on your priority list is to help somebody else fulfill their goals and dreams so God can come and help you with yours. See, if you're taking care of you, then what does God need to do? It's not about you. It's about God and people. It's not about, well, I don't come to church because I have problems. With my it's not about you. It's about God and people. Well, I don't, I don't, I have a lot of addiction. It's not about you. It's about God and people. Well, I just can't get up because I work. It's not about you. It's about God and people. It's about worshiping God and serving people. And he says this, if you will take what I want the most, which is people, and take care of them, I'll take care of the desires that are inside your heart. Um, Psalms 92 is a, um, it's a song for the Sabbath, and it says this, it's good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name. I've been anointed with fresh oil. That same word fresh is the re restored and refreshed we looked at earlier. Verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. They will bear fruit in old age. Every old person in this room who's depressed and lonely is somebody who doesn't serve the local church. But the happiest old people in this room 
are ones that have other people on their mind. They see some of y'all just sitting at home waiting for your kids to call you and say, please come babysit the grandkids, and that's your whole life. When you get old, if you want to bear fruit, get planted in the house of the Lord and serve somebody else with your life. Um, my grandfather, uh, in the world's eyes, he didn't need anything. He was a millionaire. Uh, he built beach houses, and he had stock and Coca-Cola. Uh, my grandma took good care of him, so he had a great marriage. Um, he had the best grandchild and children in the world, so he had everything he needed. Um, so in the natural, he didn't really, quote-unquote, need to come to church and serve and that kind of thing, but he loved doing it. He gave millions of dollars to missions and churches all over. And my grandparents, they were always part of a Baptist church wherever they lived because they were just raised Baptist. And in those days, um, in the Baptist church, the deacons kind of ran the church instead of the pastor. So the deacons knew all of the finances and who gave and that kind of thing. And sometimes they would, in this particular church they went to, they would treat people differently based on how much money they gave. So when my granddad would give his 100000 here and 100000 there, he wouldn't do it with a check that had his name on it. He would do it through like a, a, a side business corporation thing that nobody knew where it came from. And there was no internet back then or anything. Uh, what my granddad loved to do besides giving is he loved to take care of the church property. He would unclog toilets. He would change light bulbs. He would cut the grass. And he loved doing it. He loved serving his church. I'll never forget hearing the story when his Baptist church found out after years the guy who had been paying for the building, the guy who had given 100000 here and 100000 there, was the same guy they called to unclog the toilets? That's the guy that's been paying for all this? That's the guy that's been funding all these missions? The one who changes the light bulbs during the week? That's the one? They almost went, they, were, they flipped out on him. My granddad never wanted them to know that he was the one doing it. And you know, he could have paid for them to have 10 people on staff to do all the things that he did. But he loved to serve people, and he bore so much fruit in his old age, not from giving all of his money, but from taking care of the church. If God is your number one priority, then serving his bride is the number one necessity. You say, well, you know, John Paul, I love coming to church unless I have friends in town, unless family comes to visit. Okay, Exodus 31, 15 through 17 says, For six days work is to be done. The seventh day is Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. It is a sign between God and his people forever. Because six days he made the heavens and earth, the seventh he rested and was refreshed. Okay, so they would close the gates of Jerusalem, and all these nearby cultures and people who would want to make money with them, they'd say, whoa, whoa, why are you closing your businesses? We can exchange goods. We can make money. You'll make some profit. They said, no, 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 we don't do that on the Sabbath. We go to church, and then we just rest. They said, you do what? We go to church. You go to where? We go to church. Why? To worship Jehovah. Who is he? And they'd start a conversation. And they'd say, well, you want to find out? We'll let you in our gates, and you can come check it out and see for yourself. It was a way they witnessed to people, okay? When somebody comes to visit you <laughs> from out of town and you skip church for that, I just want you to know you're ruining your witness because you're letting them know you're more important to me than God. But God says it's a priority for him Church comes first. Oh, but John Paul, they're already Christians that visit me. So they're Christians, but they have a problem with you putting God first. They get upset if you're going to leave them for God. I don't think they're really the Christians you think they are. The best witness you can do is say, thanks for visiting. I love you. I'm leaving to go to church. If you want to come, you can. If not, I'll meet you for lunch afterwards. You do that enough time, sooner or later, they're going to want to check it out for themselves. 
You know how many people are in this church because somebody who loved them said goodbye on Sunday morning and came to church without them for years? Do you know, um, <laughs> Sam's in the next service, but last Sunday in the first or second service, man, he was just crying his eyes out. He joined the church. You know why he was crying his eyes out? Because his wife and daughter came here for years without him. And finally, he just had to come and check it out for himself, and his whole life has changed. Man, the witness, we people love to visit people in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, come and visit me anytime. You have to go to church with us, though. <laughs> you have to get up early. Whoever you prioritize above the Sabbath, they'll never serve Jesus because they realize that they are more powerful than he is in your life. They are your God because you put them first. Are you with me? Luke 4, 16 Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. If Jesus did it, we should do it as well. Tell those people, listen, I love you, but I'm going to spend time with the people who I'm going to be with for all of eternity. Well, I, I want to be with you for all of eternity. Well, then why don't you come with me and check it out? Because I want you to be with me for all of eternity as well. Um, last story, and I'll let you go. It's a true story. It's about a boat company named Correct Craft. I think we have the logo up there. Uh, Correct Craft, they were boat manufacturers. They still are. And they're, they're Christian-owned business. And for 90 years, almost 90 years, they always take off on Sunday morning for all of their employees to go to church and then to rest and spend time with their family the rest of the day. During World War II, the government sent them a telegraph and said, we need 700 boats in 15 days to cross the Rhine River. And we're going to different boat manufacturers to see how many they can do in 15 days. Well, the most correct craft had ever done was 60 boats in one month. So they figured, okay, half a month is 15 days, then maybe we can do 30 boats. Before they sent back their telegraph, they prayed about it, and God told the owner, I'm going to multiply you times 10. He thought, oh, no, I don't know how that can happen. Is that God? God said it again, I'm going to multiply you times 10. So they sent back and they said, listen, we believe that we can do 300 boats in 15 days. They said, oh, that's great. We'll get four other companies to do 100 boats each. That's 700 boats. That night, the owner of Correct Craft had like a dream, a vision. He put an ad in the newspaper asking all of the wives whose husbands were serving in World War II to come and volunteer at the boat manufacturer company for the war efforts. The next day, they had so many women, they had to close four city blocks just to get everybody in to start making the boats. They worked the day. They worked again. They Finally, Sunday comes around, and they told them, Saturday night, we're closing down. Nobody come to work. Go to church. Go home. Rest. Refresh. When one of the colonels heard about it, he went to the owner and said, you can't close. We're in a state of emergency. We only had 15 days to do this. They said, I promise you, we can get more done in six days if you let us put God first on Sunday than we can work in seven days. The colonel said, if you don't work on Sunday morning, I'm going to close your business down and file treason charges against you and put you in prison. So the owner had a choice to make. Are we going to trust God or not? Are we going to obey what God's asking us to do? Are we going to work hard to try to accomplish what we want to accomplish? They decided to take off on Sunday. The colonel the next day started the treason proceedings. A few days later, one of the generals heard about it, called the colonel and said, you need to stop that. We need these people. We don't want them working any slower. You got to let it go and just let them work. Correct craft made 300 boats, like they said they would, 
but they did it in 12 days instead of 15. The four other companies who were supposed to make 100 boats each were each an average behind 25 boats. So they called Correct Craft and said, listen, we need you to make 100 boats in three days so we have our 700 boats. They did it. They sent all 700 boats overseas. When they got to the Rhine River, the 300 boats that the other manufacturers made didn't work. They couldn't hold the motors. There was all kind of problems. But miraculously, they were able to fit all the soldiers into the 400 boats that Correct Craft made. National Geographic magazine called it a miracle production. President Eisenhower said this, it was a miracle like the parting of the Red Sea. Why? Because they put God first. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a phrase, you know, the word Shabbat means the Sabbath in Hebrew. And there's a phrase that Israel has, and I hope it really speaks to you the way it did me. But they say this over in Jerusalem. They say, more than Israel has kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept Israel. In other words, more than the people have made the Sabbath successful and made church successful and made all more than that, the Sabbath has made the people successful in life. Here's what, because they put God first. They put God first. 